0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Dja and the Wadawurrung people of the Eastern Kulin Nation and we wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. We would also like to pay our respects to their Elders, past and present, and Aboriginal Elders of other communities who may be listening and didn't, mm. didn't make it to adulthood, which yeah. was very, pop, you know, pop, popular, which is very common at the time. <laughs> very popular.
0: <laughs> all the, it's all the rage. was oh, doing it. was doing it. <laughs> all those diseases. <laughs> totally.
1: Hello and welcome to Chickstery, the podcast that is rewriting the history books to include the chicks that were written out of it. My name is Annie. And guess who's here today? Is it a bird? <laughs> is
0: it a plane? No, it's just me. <laughs> it's Phoebe.
1: Welcome. Surprise. 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 She's back. She's back. She's not going anywhere. Uh, yeah, welcome. Welcome to the uh welcome to the show. If this is the first time you've listened, go back and start from the beginning. We'll start from Season 5 because that's your season.
0: Yeah, yeah, stuff the others.
1: Stuff the others. <laughs> stuff the Evie who? What? <laughs> Sorry, what now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we do have a little chatsies about women in history, chicks in history, and I was just saying to Phoebe before that um, today's episode Oh, I can't wait to tell you. It made me so angry, and it still makes me angry. But anyway, we'll get into that a little bit later. How's your week been?
0: Yeah, it's been really good. I did a um a quick trip to Sydney um and yes. to go and see Moulin Rouge, which oh. is exciting because oh, you it know good? oh it was amazing. I love a musical, and it was amazing. And this it's taken. I think this was the third or fourth time to try and get to see it because you know COVID cancelled things and yeah yep. move things around and then I got COVID when I was supposed to go and see it and they're like no we can't change your tickets here's a refund I was like no, no. and then the season finished so went to Sydney and it was yeah amazing just amazing so highly recommend if you love a musical
1: I do and love a stage a show so, that's my favorite movie yeah yeah just, it was yeah. better than
0: the movie. So Big 10 gosh. out of 10 from me. What oh, about
1: you? 10 out of 10 from Phoebe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I'm good. I went last night, I went to uh, a thing called No Lights, No Lycra. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so for those listeners who don't know what that is, um, it's basically you go, it's a dance party in a, in a hall, in a dark room, and you dance for an hour and you're in complete darkness, and it is just the most freeing, amazing experience. And it's very hard to explain if you ha- like to someone who hasn't been. So I mm. went last night with a friend of mine, and I said to him, I, "I said, look, just trust me. Just it's." And he's like, "I just don't get it. Like, what do you mean we just go into a hall and <laughs> like we don't even have drinks? Like, what's going on?" <laughs> and I'm like no you, you go completely sober and you just rock up and you go into the room there it was in an old hall up here near my place they just play a playlist and it was uh it was a tribute to Olivia Newton-John right brilliant and you just dance and there's something about just knowing that you're no one's looking at you and you're not looking at anyone else and you're not trying to, you know, normally when you're sort of dancing with people in a group, everyone sort of picks up on everyone's own movements and you're trying to copy people and you're, mm. you're sort of doing stuff, hoping everyone's looking. Trying to be cool. Me, Yeah, but this is like you just dance with just complete abandonment. You didn't do yourself an injury, did you? I didn't. <laughs> I mean, I am a little bit sore today because it is like, <laughs> a, it's like a proper workout. Yeah, you know? yeah. But um. Highly, highly recommend. And they do, they do do them in sort of different cities. Yeah, I know that.
0: Yeah, I know they do them in Geelong too. I
1: feel like they've just come back. Yeah. Yeah. And I know recently. I used to go to the one in Sydney, like in Bondi, and it was, and it's just so much fun. So if, if, if you're a fan of just, and you just want to dance for an hour and it's freestyle, there's no, there's no teacher, there's, it's literally like you're at a blue light disco and you just, It's so good. So, yeah, look it up on Facebook. No lights, no lycra, and um, you might find one near you. But, yeah, I highly recommend that. What about Phoebe's historical fact?
0: Yes, all right. So it's a quick one. It's something that um, I may have mentioned in a previous episode very
1: briefly, touched Mm -hmm. on it, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about statues. You so, did. You we yeah. from memory. You said there are more animal statues than women statues. Correct. Correct.
0: So, as of late 2021, there were nine statues of women in Victoria out of 580 public <gasps> statues. Right. So um, Professor Claire Wright, who I've also spoken about before, um, states that the nine statues of real women include four saints, two athletes, a queen, the founder of the Children's Literature Collection at the State Library of Victoria and an Indigenous rights campaigner who in this statue um, is presented as the wife. Um, So that equates to only 4.3% of statues that are women and only 1% of those are of historical women standing alone. Oh, my
1: goodness. Yeah.
0: So the nine permanent statues of real women, Mm -hmm. real women, so not, um, Mm -hmm. you know, fictitious women. um,
1: Characters. Or or characters.
0: yeah. Yeah, that's right. So you've got Betty Cuthbert, Joan of Arc, Mm-hmm. Which seems strange, but sure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Joyce Oldmeadow, who was the um, uh, who donated her collection to of children's literature okay, to the library, yep. Queen Victoria, mm-hmm. Shirley Strickland, who was an athlete, mm-hmm. uh, Saint Bridget. St. Catherine of Siena, St. Mary MacKillop, which are all at St. Patrick's Cathedral, and Lady Gladys Nichols. I would recommend, if you're on the gram, um, to check out an account called A Monument of One's Own, who are, they've just established this Instagram account Mm. fairly recently, but um, they're a not for profit community campaign for statue equality. So one of their patrons is um, former Prime Minister Julia Gillard, Professor Claire Wright, is also there as well. And it's, yeah, it's something to get behind, I think, because there's, you know, that's a tiny drop in the ocean. And, I mean, every week we tell you about an amazing woman, not necessarily an Australian woman, but an amazing woman nonetheless. Yes, yeah. That, you know, more often than not, there's nothing to show. No. No physical... Nothing physical to show of that person. I'm not saying that needs to be the case, but, you know, it's also a monument yeah. to the person and to their work and to their exactly. life. And, and what not, they've achieved, what they've done for society.
1: Yeah, they're not memorialised like all the f- fucking men are.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: That makes me so mad. I know. Oh, no. And it just adds to my mad, my madness <gasps> of today's episode. She was... Episode. <laughs>
0: Guys, she was mad when we turned on the recording. So, before we talk- <laughs> turned on the recording.
1: <laughs> this is, the, and I've been busting to tell this one she's, to you. She's fuming. <laughs> I'm fuming. Okay, so for today's uh, story, I'm going to start with this porrent fact. So I know you already gave us a pretty mm. shitty fact before, but here's another one. And you might know this actually. This 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 story might be a little bit close to your heart because you are a farmer's daughter. Mm-hmm.
0: So but did you correct.
1: know that women were not legally recognised as farmers until 1994? It is ridiculous.
0: When you're saying... Years when I recollect what was happening. <laughs> Ridiculous.
1: 1994. Absolutely. So between 1891, when the census started, mm-hmm. and 1994, the census did not count women as part of the ag- agricultural sector, discounting them and devaluing their important work. On the Australian census, female farmers could only list their occupations as domestics, helpmates, and in some cases even farmers' wives. Mm, it's just oh, <sighs> it, makes like it. it really um, 1994.
0: Yeah, it really devalued women because it the way that those documents and those records read is that they were just these pretty little housewives that mm-hmm. were raising the kids mm-hmm. and you know doing the baking and that's mm-hmm. it but they were and quite often on census records or electoral rolls it will be you know so, yeah like wife of a farmer or wife of a merchant or wife of an accountant or something. So there's
1: no identity of their own. This article goes on to say their contribution to their household domestic income and to the country's agriculture sector from manual labour on the farm to generating revenue outside farming-related activities has historically been pushed to the periphery. During the 1960s, as the second wave of feminism was gaining momentum, rural women in Australia started lobbying the government for the opportunity to engage in managerial positions of agribusiness and agriculture uh, associations. I mean, that's the 1960s, so it still wasn't, you know, until (laughs) 1994 Mm. that they listened, right, which is just disgusting. Australian government... Disgusting. Now, there was a short time in the early 1970s, and I wasn't aware of this, that tertiary education was made free. Yes, I think it was around Gough
0: Whitlam era.
1: Yeah, okay. Possibly, yeah. So many female farmers decided to complete their university degrees so they Mm -hmm. could level up the playing field further. But even if they did, again, they were not recognized Mm. As as what they were, even yep. if they had a university degree. God, I'm mad. Oh, she's mad. <laughs> she's Another critical achievement of uh, of this period was the establishment of the rural women's network in 1986, which brought together women in agriculture from across Australia. Uh, then there was the establishment of the Australian Women in Agriculture Organisation in 1993, and then followed the legal recognition of women as farmers in 1994. So these are all huge milestones for women in Australia. So, the, the woman I'm going to talk to you about today, I just have to mention this, right? This is, it does focus on white Australia and the introduction of agriculture during settlement. It's crucial that we also recognise the incredibly complex and advanced systems of agriculture and horticulture practised by Indigenous communities and Indigenous women in Australia prior to European uh, settlement. Aboriginal women were fishers and farmers. They would set eel traps. They would grow yams. um, And Barangaroo is not only a bougie precinct in Sydney, but Barangaroo is named after one of the greatest indigenous indigenous females of early settlement mm-hmm. and what's interesting to know and she was a, a fisher a fisher as well and she actually introduced line fishing but still what's interesting is that she still gets la- uh, gets the label of being benelong's wife so Benelong is also another yeah. famous Indigenous um, person of that time, but she, it's still people always say, you know, when you when you talk about Barangaroo, people are like, oh yeah, that's named after Benelong's wife. Yeah,
0: that's all she was. That was her identity. That was her identity. A, yeah. So
1: we could we could actually do a whole episode on Barangaroo as well. She's incredible. Mm-hmm. Question: Have you heard of John Macarthur? Yes, I have. Same as So I grew mm-hmm, up in New mm-hmm. South Wales um, mm-hmm. and we were actually taught the story of John MacArthur and um, I was actually, you know how you used to have sports teams? Yes. So we had yep. MacArthur, Cook, Phillip and I. I there's a theme here yeah, I can see. Yes, <laughs> it was another guy, MacArthur, Cook, Philip, and someone else. I don't know. Anyway, so I was in the MacArthur, um, mm-hmm. MacArthur team. We were yellow. Um, so, you know, he was known you know, really well-known and he was known as the father of the wool and agriculture industry in Australia. I cannot believe that I was 47 years old when I actually heard the real story behind the wool industry in Australia. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth MacArthur.
0: (laughs) That was a very dramatic pause, wasn't (laughs) it?
1: Elizabeth MacArthur was born on the 14th of August in 1766 in Devon in England. She was the daughter of a farmer and um, she was actually quite educated and she came from a bit of, you know, affluence. But her father died when she was just four and her mother went on to remarry and Elizabeth was actually sent to go and live with the local clergyman. But that meant she got a pretty good education and that, and it's through this education that she learnt how to write. She was a beautiful writer. In 1788 she marries John MacArthur. And from all the accounts I've listened to and read, I got so into this, I, there's so many once I opened this door, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like this is, and and a lot of the a lot of the books that have been written and I don't know why she married John Macarthur. He was not very attractive. He was broke. He was sounds the, like a catch. <laughs> sounds like a catch. He was the lowest class of army officer, as well. He didn't really have much go going for him at all, mm-hmm. and he was actually quite nasty. And he was a narcissist by all accounts yep. right mm-hmm. so he also was very had a very precious ego and mm-hmm. didn't like anyone you know questioning his honor and all of that stuff so but she was 4 months pregnant when they got married so that's yep. probably why mm-hmm. she had no choice there in 1789 the second fleet known as neptune left uh, for New South Wales and Elizabeth and John and their first child, Edward, boarded the ship to New South Wales. So her letters that she writes on that voyage um, are one of the most outstanding records of early voyages on convict transportation. And her letters, there's actually a book of a collection of her letters, Mm -hmm. which is incredible. What she writes back home about that experience is that it was, Absolutely horrific. Oh. Not to mention she had a dick of a husband. Mm. And, and she a was female and a woman of her class would not have spoken to any of the you know, people, the staff working yeah. on the boat. Yeah. And of course she wouldn't speak to the convicts either. So she would have been really isolated, on her own. John, before they even left the port, John had a duel with the captain. <laughs> Over a question of <laughs> honour,
0: oh, they're swinging their dicks around again, aren't they?
1: <laughs> yep. And then he had a fight with the new captain, and there was one stage where they, Elizabeth, Edward the child, and John were all locked in their rooms, mm-hmm. nailed into their rooms because John was being such a dick. Oh my that gosh. they didn't want him to be around the other people on the on the boat. It actually got to a point where, Elizabeth couldn't handle it anymore and she, her and Edward were put into an into a rowboat and rowed over to another <gasps> ship. Yeah. And she was spent the rest of the journey on that ship. She gave birth oh. on the ship also.
0: That was quite common for women to have babies on ships and just
1: imagine. Can you imagine? I mean, horrific, right? So anyway, they arrive uh, in Sydney Cove. On the 28th of June, 1790, so Elizabeth and John arrive with their two-year-old Edward. Now, Elizabeth is considered to be one of the first uh, women to reach the colony who was educated and she was an officer's wife and she wasn't a convict so she was in a privileged position even as a woman. She was really well read and very articulate and she wrote a lot of letters, so we have. There's a really good record of mm. um, of her of that of that time. She often held court amongst officers of the New South Wales Corps, naval officers, and members of the colonial administration. The only governor who uh, actually enjoyed uh, her company was Arthur Phillip. For in later years, her husband's political position was too controversial for any governor to seek the company of her or her family. Uh, She was also, when she arrived, she was really curious and she was known as an amateur astronomer and botanist. And some of the Trove articles that I found actually Mm -hmm. describe her as Sydney's first female scientist. She took quite a liking to William Dawes, who William Dawes was the first fleet's astronomer Mm -hmm. and it's what Dawes Point is named after today. Mm -hmm. And she talks of, in her letters, walking down from her house, which is kind of near Martin Place at the moment. If you picture Martin Place in Sydney and George Street, she would walk from their house that her and John had down George Street to Dawes Point and she would meet William Dawes and she would have lessons from him on astronomy. Mm -hmm. And there's her letters are apparently all very... Uh, tongue-in-cheek and a bit <laughs> ironic and a bit kind of, you know, and it's sort of like you got to read between the lines mm-hmm. a little bit. So there's speculation that potentially there was a little bit of a crush going on uh-huh. there. Uh, yeah, so she took quite a like, liking to him and um, they would have their little private lessons. Oh, yes, staring at the stars. Yeah. Elizabeth, during this time also, it is really important to note that she would go on to have four more sons and three more daughters. Oh, wow. That's a lot. That's That's a lot. That's a lot of the people. (laughs) So even with the cares of her uh, increasing family and the anxieties that her husband would have been (laughs) giving her, this in no way dampened her spirits. So her letters back to her family are still, you know, quite positive. She's adapting to the circumstances of her new life. And she's really kind of telling you painting a really good picture back to her family. And it's not we don't know if that's because she was trying to keep it positive and light. And if mm. she, it was because it actually would have been hell. Oh, awful. Awful. Uh, awful. The population was about a thousand. Mm-hmm. At the time, so by ni- by 1794, the Macarthur's had their own house at Parramatta called Elizabeth Farm, named after Elizabeth, and it was a very excellent brick building. As Ooh. she, as she, <laughs> as she, as she writes. She she writes in 1798 that she uh, held numerous advantages to persons holding appointments under government. We enjoy here one of the finest climates in the world. The necessities of life are abundant and a fruitful soil affords us many luxuries. Nothing induces me to wish for a change but the difficulty of educating our children. Our gardens are with fruit and vegetables and the produce is abundant. It is now spring and the eye is delighted with a most beautiful beautiful variegated landscape almonds apricots pears and apple trees are in full bloom the native shrubs are also in flower and the whole country gives a grateful perfume so she's riding like it's just she's having the time of her life yeah yeah looking after the kids looking looking after after the the kids sounds like an idiot yeah the husband's a dick but Mm. whatever with unrestricted access to convict labor John MacArthur becomes the first in the colony to clear and cultivate 50 acres of virgin land and that earned him another hundred acres so he becomes the first person to to clear land basically and, mm-hmm. and use it for agriculture. He actually becomes one of the foremost landholders in the colony, selling produce to the government, which would return several several hundred pounds. So it was actually flourishing. Elizabeth kept, keeps an ordered home. Her and her children always seem to escape the criticism that follows John around because, mm-hmm. again, everyone's thinking he's a dick. <laughs> and <laughs> And then it's, it's at the, this point John was made commandment at Parramatta. He receives these land grants, but then he ends up just doing some really dicky things, right? So he, <laughs> I think, what he, a dumb shit. <laughs> he tries to have another duel with one of the governors. Mm. He tries to overthrow the governor at one point. You know, there's lots of different issues. So he's actually sent back to England. Quite a few times now. Oh, in all the stories that we're told about John Macarthur, I have never heard that through the whole John Macarthur is the hero of the wool industry. For seventeen years, he's not there, and oh, guess wow. who's running the farm? Lizzie, bloody Lizzie. So between 1801 and 1805, John goes back to England. He sent for a court-martial after wounding a superior off- officer in a duel and again in 1808 to 1817. So these are massive periods of time, uh, avoiding a, an arrest warrant. He was uh, for his role in the Rum Rebellion of January 1808 and then he refuses to accept the terms for his return so he is kept again in the UK. So Um, So all up, I think it's about 17 years. Due to her husband's enforced departure from the colony, Elizabeth's relatively carefree existence changes. She becomes solely responsible for the care of the Merino flocks, the Camden Park estate and the direction of the convict labourers. She only has the assistance of her nephew at the time who is less experienced than she is in colonial affairs. So she's never done this before. She's Mm. never run a farm before. She's living in a completely foreign country in the early 18th century in New South Wales where there's a thousand people and they're probably living in their own filth. And squalor, yeah, there's no sewerage. No, there's no yeah, yeah. Well the smell. That's all I have. Mm-hmm. so for eight years she manages the Camden Park establishment with absolute success. She visits it regularly. Um, although this involves her doing some pretty like scary things, placing herself in danger of the sporadic violence that occurred between settlers and Aboriginals at the time. Mm-hmm. And there's also there's there's a thing where she, in some of her letters, she does talk about the, um, the Aboriginal women coming to visit with their babies. So, and mm-hmm. you know, they're all they're, they're kind of it's all really positive. But then there's an encounter with, um, I think, one of her uh, staff is speared. And then her her perception of the Aboriginal people changes. Mm. So you know, and look, there's nothing in there also where she admits that she's on stolen land. It wasn't yeah. a lot of the colonists at the time. Just didn't it didn't occur to them that no, it know, was
0: you know in their eyes and well, the because of government enforcements, it was crown land. So it, it was crown, exactly to the government, exactly yeah. 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 And so, it, we still refer to land now as crown, crown land. land. Exactly mm.
1: yeah. So without any company, she travelled to visit the various Merino flocks and to discuss the choice of rams, sales of sheep, the improvement of fleeces, the care of all the valuable MacArthur stock. After these journeys, she would write detailed reports of her inspections back to her husband in England and on receiving his replies, she would carry out his (laughs) directions for the development of the flocks. And you can just imagine, like one of the authors of one of her books says, you could just imagine her reading that, rolling her eyes and going, yeah, whatever, mate. Yeah, you got, got no this. bloody idea. Yeah, yes, I got these. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, it's all good. You just stay there where you are in in England. I'm quite happy this.
0: without you, actually. Yeah.
1: The Macarthur uh, Merino flocks managed to enter competitively into the British market and to establish the reputation of the colony of New South Wales as a centre for wool growing. A significant proportion of this was due to Elizabeth. It was her determination and administrative ability. To overcome the first and most formidable practical obstacles, uh, which were within the colony to export to the export of the wool, so she just had to, she had to make it all up on her mm. own. No, no one else was doing this, so she mm. had to figure out. Not only did she have to work out keep the farms going, sell and buy stock, process the wool, learn how to export it, you know, and she's got like four properties going. Mm. And children. And she's got eight children. And a house. Yeah. Like, good. Her letters are neutral about the degree of pleasure she derived from the care (laughs) of Mr. MacArthur's affairs. (gasps) I like that. And she always refers to him as Mr. MacArthur. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, Yeah, she never complained. She never said that she wasn't enjoying, you know, her her new role. I actually think she she kind of liked it. You know what she reminds me of? She reminds me of Gentleman Jack, which is mm-hmm. a Fox series about Anne Walker and how Anne Walker, her family, um, she's left this prop, this um, land, and she has to run the family's estate basically. Mm-hmm. And back in the time, women doing that was just completely not on. So she actually dressed quite masculine and was known as Gentleman Jack. Um, mm-hmm. even oh, I they... have heard. I have heard of this. Yes, she yes. wears like a top hat and she's the yes. very, you know, yeah. Okay, so yeah, so Elizabeth oversaw the family estates at Parramatta, Camden, Seven Hills and Pennant Hills. This included the management of household and business accounts, the employment of convict labour, the supervision of war washing, bailing and transport and the selection of rams and breeding to improve the flock. John would express his gratitude and admiration for her ability to cope and then he got cranky at her because of her irregular and inadequate correspondence.
0: Sorry, mate.
1: Yeah, you're not writing to me enough.
0: You've got a few. She's got a few things on.
1: You're not writing. And, I mean you're not sending mm-hmm. me enough letters. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, after Sir so John returns back to New South Wales, and a, I think there's a line in the one of her letters where she says, "Oh, my delight at hearing of of John's return." <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so he returns and she retires from active, any active management of the family affairs. He just basically comes back in and takes over. Yeah, of course he And does. gets all the fucking credit. Yeah. John ends up becoming uh, quite ill and his health is declining. He is diagnosed, which is very common back then, as insane.
0: Mm-hmm. So he does.
1: He's suffering with mental health. And the letters that Elizabeth writes back to her family are very, like, You know, ahead of her time, she talks about him having problems with his mental um, state. And, you know, which is really uncommon because back Mm. then it wasn't even recognized as being, you know, something. They just said you were mad or you were insane. But she could see that it was not his mind. You know, he wasn't of his own mind. Mm. So, yeah, John falls into deep fits of melancholia. And, yeah, so she remains devoted to her husband, even though he. Basically, disowns her. He wants nothing to do with her, and he's just he goes and shuts himself away into uh, exile. Basically, he ev- he eventually ends up uh, passing away, and she ends up surviving him by sixteen years. She dies on. The 9th of February 1850 and the fulfilment of every one of her husband's predictions concerning the economic development of the colony um, should all be attributed to
0: Elizabeth. What a legend.
1: The Elizabeth MacArthur Agricultural a- Agricultural Institute is named in her honour. It is the largest centre of excellence operated by New South Wales Department of Primary Industries, employing two hundred scientists, and is located at Camden Park. Elizabeth Macarthur is commemorated on the nineteen ninety five Australian five dollar coin. <laughs> um, have you ever seen the five dollar coin? No,
0: I didn't even know there was one. Yeah,
1: because I think it's just like a pretend one that's right, not in circulation. Right. However. Yeah. John Macarthur used to be on the two dollar bill. Of course, he did. So Elizabeth Macarthur is the subject of a fictitious memoir, *A Room Made of Leaves*, by Kate Grenville, and she's also the author who has um, written the book of her letters and published her letters. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's just that's that's the the absolutely annoying story of mm-hmm. Elizabeth Macarthur, wife of John Macarthur,
0: just the wife
1: who. Is responsible for the Australian agriculture and wool industry being what it is today in Australia.
0: Yeah, and can I say that my family, both sides, Merino breeders.
1: And have you ever heard the story of Elizabeth? No,
0: no, I know about John Macarthur. Oh yeah, of course, Mister Wool. Um, Of course you do. Yeah, so there you go. That's my dad still breeds Merinos.
1: Wow, there you yeah, go. All thanks you to go. Lizzie.
0: Lizzie. Lizzie, the legend.
1: Incredible, yeah. isn't
0: it? I know. That's, yeah. It's, so, and it's not, people have a really romanticized um, vision of farming as well. Yeah. And it's hard work. It is hard work. Absolutely. I can and imagine. You, you imagine. At that time, she would have had to have been in her skirts and her corset and the whole thing, and she's out there yep. rain, hail, or shine. Totally. And yeah, and getting no cred. Because nice. old mate John,
1: she got no cred. No cred. no cred. So if you're listening and you have children and they come home one day and they're like, oh guess what Mum, we're learning all about John MacArthur the captain you know the, the, the man who's responsible for the wool industry <laughs> you just send that child back with this episode get them to tell the teacher that actually no it's all the wife, not yeah the man. Mm.
0: I don't remember learning about him in school. But as a family, we've talked about John MacArthur. Mm. Um, But maybe it's because Victoria, Victoria. because he came to New South Wales, so maybe that's why. You
1: probably got, got, yeah, we got kind of, we got First Fleet, we got Mm. Gold Rush, we got John MacArthur. um, And because a lot of those places where I kind of grew up around that area, so I I recognise those Elizabeth Elizabeth yeah. Farm and it's actually a living museum, Elizabeth Farm, okay. so if you yep. are uh, mm-hmm. and you can go and visit it and it's all, the house has been, I'm not sure if it's the original house or if it's been recreated, but all of the furniture and the in the parlour and all of that is um, copies of what it used to look like. So you can go in and actually sit in the armchairs that she would yep. have sat in and all of that kind of stuff, so...
0: I think I can almost pinpoint when I was a kid when I realised I loved history. There's a mm. um, the National Wool Museum in Geelong because Geelong was essentially built on yeah. the sheep's back. Yep. Yep. That was our industry um, and they've got this replica of a, you know, a house and oh, I just remember as a kid going on school yes. excursions, this is just so cool.
1: <laughs> I know. I love, yeah.
0: Yeah. Same, mm.
1: same. I remember that as well. I remember going to just old Sydney town. We used mm. to have a place called Old Sydney Town, which was uh, which was away from Sydney. It was like <laughs> up near the central coast, but you'd get on a bus for school and you go up there and they'd have a recreation of like an early settlement and the mm. schoolhouses and, the you know, you could kind of go yeah. in and there'd be actors yep. playing things and yeah. you'd like, oh, my God. It's... Like Sovereign Hill. Have you been, been to Sovereign exactly Hill exactly like yet? Sovereign yeah. Hill. Yeah, yep. I haven't been there yet, but, it's, it's mm. very, yeah, it's exactly like that. Yeah. So there we go. Yep.
0: There we go. So... Go and support your farmers. Support the Australian wool industry,
1: and support yeah. women. Support women in agriculture because yeah, it, I mean that is I, I still cannot. Nineteen ninety four. Come That's on, insane. Until next week. Um, go and support your farmers.
0: Yeah. <laughs>